we just finished a really, I thought, and what I've heard was a powerful series on identity theft, on the lies that we believe and that thwart us from our identity, that our identity truly and mostly is rooted in our intimate, personal, deep relationship with Jesus as a child of God. And one of the verses that we read from um, last week was Romans 8.14. And it really segues into what we're going to talk about, so it's worth noting. Romans 8.14 says, For those that are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So think about that. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So we talked the last month about what it meant to be a child of God. But what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? You know, when we started this community, because at the core, the Bible was written to a community of people. And when we started this community um, in my basement almost two years ago, uh, we sat and dreamed and prayed and talked about what it, what it would be like. We didn't really want to start another institution um, where it could be our efforts to try and please God, but we really wanted this experience, this community of people to be led by the Spirit. That's one of the things that we talked about, led by the Spirit. What does that mean to be this Spirit-led, Spirit-filled community, led by God boldly and courageously? Um, so we talked about that. We dreamed about that that we wanted people to know God, to glorify God, to worship God, to have others see the glory of God and for them to follow him. And so maybe you've just joined us today or maybe you joined us when we kind of started this public worship thing almost a year ago. Um, but I still believe that's true, that God wants us to be this, this spirit-led, spirit-embodied, spirit-empowered community. And as we look at that, if we want that spirit-led, spirit-embodied, spirit-empowered community, then individually we need to be people who are spirit-led, spirit-embodied, and spirit-filled people. And so that begs the question, does my life look like it's led by the Spirit? Does your life look like it's led by the Spirit? Does your day-to-day and week-to-week life have a sense that God is with you, that he's empowering you, that he's leading you? Do you experience his presence and his power on Monday at about 8.07? Do you look different than the people around you who don't know Jesus? Do the people closest to you see more and more of a changed person? Or, or is it just the people that are kind of far away that you look good from a distance? And depending on how you answer those things, I think no matter how you answer them, the question of what it means to be led by the Spirit really comes down to our understanding of and our experience with the Holy Spirit. And so I know that I've lacked in my life, and I think we in general, as people who love Jesus, especially in America, I think we've really lacked an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, So you just passed your cards in, and we'll take a look at those throughout the weeks to come. And, um, you know, I don't know what you wrote, because I don't have your papers, and I'm not Jesus. So I know one thing I thought of when I Um, thought about the Holy Spirit was the book The Shack. I don't know if any of you have read it. I'm not publicly endorsing it. It was a good and insightful read on what 
one person's take on the Spirit was. And, and this person experienced the Holy Spirit as an almost translucent, kind of fluttery, petite little woman. Um, we talk a lot about in our house the, the movie Star Wars, a lot. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that believe that the Holy Spirit is really an it and an impersonal force that, that we can kind of use or choose to, to go to the good side or to the bad side. Um, but, and depending on what you wrote, we'll, we'll look at more as we go, but today we really begin this series on the Holy Spirit looking at who the Holy Spirit is and then what difference that makes in our life. So let me open us in a word of prayer as we turn to John 14 as we, that's where we're going to kind of camp out. We'll go a lot of other places today, but where we're going to start, end, and kind of go through the middle of is in John 14. So... Um, God, we, um, we are hungry for you. We worship you, and we desire to magnify you. Even if we honestly are here and don't quite know what that means for our lives, but, but we're seeking you, God, wherever we're at, whether we've known you a long, long time, um, whether we've been to church a long, long time, um, or whether we don't know very much at all, but we're seeking you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself um, through this conversation, discussion, talk, look at this, look at um, your word about who the Holy Spirit is, that that would permeate our experience with you. Uh, so open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John 14, um, Jesus is giving um, kind of his first real conversation with his followers about this idea of the Holy Spirit. John fourteen sixteen says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, if you read the surrounding chapters, maybe you went on our Facebook page and saw that yesterday, like, I challenge you to read John 13 to 17. You'll see the context of this. The disciples really have no clue what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, they um, are in, they're in an upper room. Uh, they're, at, they're Jews, so they're participating in Passover. What we've come to know is the Last Supper because it was the last time Jesus was with them. And, and he has, he's washed their feet. He's um, talked about the bread and the wine. He's uh, said that someone's going to betray him. Peter has um, said, Lord, don't wash my feet. You know, you can't be a part of me. So all these things have happened. They're very confused. And then Jesus starts into this, you know, don't let your, heart be tr- don't let your hearts be troubled. Basically, like, don't freak out. Um, you'll see it in John 14, 1. And then you'll see it kind of at John 14, I think 27, towards the end of the chapter. You'll see he's kind of bookending this don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out to the point of paralysis. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. First of all, beginning of John 14, if you believe in me, then if you believe in God, then, then believe in me. 
And then he goes, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm the way. Uh, I'm the truth. I'm the life. I've shown you the Father. And I'm going to send another helper. I'm going to send another advocate. I'm going to send another comforter. I'm not sure what your scripture says, but that's what it is saying in uh, chapter 14, verse 16. He's saying, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. Okay? Keep that one rolling around in your head because this is, this is huge. This kind of launches us into this study on the Holy Spirit that is really more than an academic knowledge thing. But Jesus comes back to this in chapter 16. So he um, is still in this little, what we'll call farewell address. He's eaten with them. He's drank with them. He's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to send another. They walk outside. He's talking about the branches and the vines. They're on their way to the garden. And he stops and he says, you know, none of you are asking me where I'm going. Chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things, but I tell you the truth. Anytime you see that in scripture, it's like circle it, underline it, highlight it, do whatever you want to know. Big thing he's about to say. Sometimes it says, truly, truly, I tell you. But very truly, I tell you, it is good. It's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, or the helper, same word, will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him. Okay, so we're really looking at today, who is this advocate? Who is this helper? Who is this comforter? Um, I, I have a mostly girly room because I'm married in, in my bedroom. We have this huge denim comforter. Um, it's kind of masculine. I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. It's not peach, like my, my dad's, you know. So, <laughs> sorry, Dad, if you're listening online. <laughs> Called you out. Um, but it's thick, it's heavy, and I love it. And, and some of us think of the Holy Spirit, like when we hear the word comforter, oh, we think of this giant quilt that's heavy that, that kind of gives us a soft, ooey feeling or something. That's, that's a little incorrect. But, um, <laughs> I mean, not totally, but, but the advocate's called the spirit of truth. So, um, so we're going to explore what that looks like. And they hadn't really had many experiences with the spirit of truth or the spirit person or thing. I mean, some of them were around at Jesus' baptism. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke 3. Um, Jesus has come on the scene as a, as a rabbi, as a Jewish teacher, and, and John the Baptist has been paving the way. He's very prolific. He's um, kind of outspoken, charismatic, and he's baptizing lots of people, it says in Luke 3. And in verse 21, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he went into the water, and as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. I mean, this is awesome. This is just a beautiful picture of the God in, in the Christian faith. In the, as Jesus, we, 
we worship. Because here, God the Son, Jesus, is being baptized. God the Father is speaking, you are my son. And, and God the Spirit shows up in bodily form like a dove, which I would just love to see. Our pictures do not do it justice. I, I don't quite understand it. Um, and it's a bit confusing to say that we worship one true God that, that brings himself in three persons. Like, that is a bit confusing. If that's confusing for you, um, hang with me. I'm not going to get it figured out, but that's okay for me because I don't want a God I can totally figure out. Because if I know everything about God, then he's no longer God. So, but in this picture, this would be the first time that the disciples, that the followers of Jesus would hear about, experience the Spirit. Not the only time, but definitely the first time. And then Jesus goes into, he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he's tempted, he comes back, and he goes back to his hometown to kind of launch into his public ministry, Luke 4. He gets up for the scripture reading, um, and he's a traveling rabbi, so they have him come up, and he pulls out the scroll, because they didn't have cool Bibles or smartphones that had the Bible, so he pulls out the scroll, he reads Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 um, says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedoms for the captives. He's, um, and the recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, this phrase, the spirit of the Lord is on me, this is a phrase that is, kind of goes all the way back through the Old Testament um, and it's, it, it's referring to a special anointing that um, would have been for a purpose. Prophets and judges and priests and kings, like they all... They all wouldn't have, but all these different types of people throughout the Old Testament um, had these experiences of a special anointing where the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. It was a power, it was a wisdom, it gave them energy, it gave them divine life, they were filled, they, it enabled them to perform something that they couldn't do by themselves. Most notice, notably, maybe, um, the Judge Samson. If any of you remember Samson, he had um, a problem uh, he had a weakness for women, um, and so he ends up in chains with his eyes gouged out. It's kind of a grotesque story. And he's praying to God that he would be filled one more time that, with the Spirit, that the Spirit would come upon him, and, and, and the Spirit does, and he pushes these pillars out and, like, dies. But kills a bunch of people that didn't like God, too. It's, again, it's more than we have time to get into, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Kings. 1 Samuel 16, 14 says, The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, King Saul, and an evil spirit tormented him. So again, here's a reference where Saul's the king, the spirit of the Lord was with him because it departed from him. So he had the spirit at one point. Not everybody had the spirit of the Lord, but there was this special anointing. Um, King David, he committed adultery and murder. We have a little theme going here of bad things. And in Psalm 51, 11, he says, Lord, do not cast your presence from me or take your Holy Spirit from me. Okay, again, it's a, the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit are used interchangeably throughout the Old Testament to kind of anoint this 
or kind of denote this special anointing. Okay? Um, and if that was it, then maybe the, then maybe the disciples shouldn't have been confused. Problem was, there's a lot more images of the Holy Spirit that are seen in the Old Testament. Um, it's seen as, or the Spirit is seen as breath, life, and wind. Uh, most noticeably, wind in Genesis, in the creation story, Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. In Genesis 2, he creates the human being, and it says in Genesis 2-7, he breathes life into him. Um, And then later in John 20, if you want to write this one down, this one's kind of a big one. Um, John 20, 22, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, appears to the disciples who are scared. They're freaking out. They're not sure what's going on. And Jesus comes in the room almost translucently. The door's locked and he appears to them and says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. So spirit is breath. Um, spirit is wind, showing the power of God. Job, um, or Jonah 4.8, Jonah is this prophet who goes to preach to these um, really bad people. And uh, he proclaims in 40 days, like, God's going to come and annihilate you. And so then he's like, oh, I did my job. And he goes and sits on this cliff to watch God pummel them. Um, And it says in Jonah 4, 8, that God sent a scorching wind. And Jonah lay there in torment. So again, showing this power um, in Acts 2, the, the spirit is this wind that comes through the room and tongues of fire, so now we've got fire. This is the imaging that the Spirit gets. And then finally, uh, the Spirit is seen as life. In Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Like the Spirit of God in me and life, it's almost like these are linked, and the writers are trying to do that. They're trying to say, yes, that's true, it's linked. God is the giver of life and the sustainer of life and the spirit is linked to that. And so the disciples, um, I go through that long tangent um, because the disciples would have heard all of these images. Wind, breath, spirit, uh, wind, breath, fire. Help me out. Life. Thank you. Gosh. Um, And so none of them give this whole picture. But together, they kind of paint this mosaic. And so I give the the disciples a little leeway here um, in their confusion. So when Jesus is saying, I'm sending another, the advocate, the spirit of truth, um, again, going back to John 14, 16, he will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth, I give them a little slack that they are confused. But you know, I think we've been kind of confused about what the spirit means too. So um, if you look at the word advocate, maybe your translation says helper or comforter. It comes from this Greek word that means, or that is said paraclete. And um, it's a hard word to put into English. 
It's a hard word to define. I know I don't usually do like Greek word studies here. We don't usually go through this much scripture today, but, but to start the series, I think it's important that we do. Um, so we got to kind of peel back those layers and look at, well, why, did the, why is the most literal translation helper? Uh, in Maybe you have an ESV or um, an NASB Bible, and if you don't know what those things mean, just kind of roll your eyes and ignore it for a second. But but they translated paraclete as helper. And one of the reasons this is a little bit challenging, um, it's technically accurate, the Spirit helps us, but if you've read the help, like the book, you'll, you'll know that, that these women that are the servants in the help are helpers. They're definitely seen as subordinate. If you read um, Harry Potter, or watched any of the Harry Potter movies. Maybe you think of a helper as Dobby. Dobby? Dobby. And the little house elf who comes along and helps out. Definitely this subordinate role. Come alongside, help me with my work. And it's not helpful, no pun intended. It's because it gives us this idea that the Holy Spirit is our helper, but we're the masters. Like the Spirit is just there to make us better or the Spirit is just there to make us more godly, or the Spirit is just there to make us more whatever, so the focus can be on us. I mean, even we wanted to show this, you know, like I wanted to have a lamp up here so that we could um, have a little more light. And there's a bulb in here. Still good. But it's not turning on. Oh, right. And, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit is like, you got to plug into God. Not, not to be corny but, or simplistic, but a lot of times people say that. You got to plug in the whole, to really understand and experience your relationship with God, you need to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. Not, not wrong, just not the most helpful because the Holy Spirit is more than a power that we tap into. So, so who is the Holy Spirit? Pericle, to, to define it, or as the scholars define it, is, is one who stands alongside another in order to encourage, comfort, guide, and help. Um, so if you ever have gone to court for maybe a traffic violation or maybe something more severe where you need a defense lawyer, an attorney next to you, that's actually not, I mean, depending on the quality of the lawyer, it's actually not a bad example of what a paraclete is. Um, I like this one, this, this image from Star Wars, episode two, um, where the Jedi are kind of being surrounded by the droids and they bring in help. The Jedi master comes alongside the apprentice and they're side by side or they're back to back. That image, not just because it's cool, well, a little bit because it's cool, but <laughs> just being honest, but that image is, is closer to this idea of the paraclete because the Holy Spirit is, is the master. I mean, the Holy Spirit, it says in John 14, he will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him 
nor knows him. Okay, so first of all, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is a him, a he. Not so much in the masculine sense of it's not a she, he is not a she, or she is not a he, but in the sense of personhood. Um, Not an impersonal force, but a person. A person who's invisible because it says the world neither sees him nor knows him. So this person is invisible and this person is eternal because the text says it will, he will be with you forever. And Jesus says, I'm going to send another advocate. The phrasing suggests Jesus is sending someone who's another like him. So Jesus said that he and the Father are one, and if the Spirit is like this Spirit of truth, is like Jesus, and Jesus and the Father are one, then the Holy Spirit is probably one with God. And this would be true um, of what we read in Acts, in the New Testament, in, in Acts 5, the disciples have radically changed. Okay? So, scared, not sure what's going to happen. Jesus dies. Jesus resurrected, still scared. Jesus breathes the Spirit on them. The Holy Spirit comes, not scared anymore. Something happened. They had an experience, and they continue to have this experience. And in Acts 5, this new thing called the church is moving and shaking. People are coming. Um, they're selling stuff and giving the money away. And these two people, this couple, um, sells a property and then lies about how much it's worth. And so they bring the money to the disciples in Acts 5 and say, oh, this is how much it's worth. And Peter, filled with the Spirit, we'll talk about what that means in the future, says, Ananias, that's the guy's name, How is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? He is a person that Ananias lied to. You've kept some of the money for yourself. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money yours at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. Peter's using this interchangeably. Peter is saying, um, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, he, personhood? You have not lied to people, you've lied to God. The Holy Spirit and God are one. So when Peter calls the Holy Spirit God, this is kind of big. Because sometimes, let's just be honest, the Holy Spirit's a little bit of a mystery. Uh, There are some people that are Christians, like my brothers and sisters in Jesus, that have different expressions of the Spirit um, that make me seem very mild-mannered. They seem a little expressive and wild, and that sometimes makes us uncomfortable. I mean, let's just be honest. But if we ignore the Holy Spirit... If the Holy Spirit is God, then we're really ignoring God. And, and he is a person, and he is the Spirit, and the Spirit has emotions. Ephesians 4, 30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
for years I just skipped over that and said, I don't, I don't really get what that means. I suppose it means we're not supposed to make God mad. Um, and I kind of pictured this abstract idea that like when I did bad things, God got sad. Um, in Genesis 6, it says God regretted making human beings because they were so wicked. And then the flood happens. Um, and so I just kind of thought, like God was and still gets mad at me, gets sad, gets disappointed when I let him down, when I sin, when I make mistakes. And so, but I always kept that like as an abstract concept. I didn't really think about this truth that, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that he, as a person, supernatural person, has emotions. And the context of Ephesians 4.30 is unity and harmony amongst people who follow Jesus. And so the verse is saying, when you do things that cause disunity and, and um, like gossip and slander and anger and fighting and bitterness and so on, you grieve the Spirit. That's kind of big. It shows, number one, that he has emotions, but more than that, I think it shows that the Holy Spirit is not just in relationship to God, but he is in relationship to us, and and we are in relationship with each other. The Holy Spirit wants to be in relationship to us. So back to John 14. Kind of wrap this around, see if we can't take something that works. Um, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Jesus is saying this to the disciples, and I think he says it to us today, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you. Like the Holy Spirit is always with us. Psalm 139, David writes, um, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths of the earth, you're there. there. Anywhere I go, David is saying, your spirit is with me. Now, let's just bring it home. Think about how some of us pray. Okay? Not trying to get up in your business, but isn't it a little bit like, God, would you please be with me because I'm going through a really hard time? Or, God, please be with so-and-so because um, they are going through a really hard time. Or, or, God, would you be with me when I travel here? We're asking God to, to do something he's, where he's already at. He's already in us. He's with us. So we don't have to pray that, you're, that he's with us. We don't have to ask for him to be with us because he already is with us. We just need to pray that we'd be aware of that, that we would understand that, that we'd live into that, that we'd live with him. And he, if we believe in him, if we say, Jesus, I want you as Lord and Savior of my life. Like, not just I want to talk about you. 
or I want to know something about you, or I want to be with some cool people that seem to like Jesus too. But I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Guide everything about me. I want that, which you can pray. I encourage you to. It'll change your life. If we pray that, the Holy Spirit, God in spirit, comes into us. He's in us. Picture it like this. If, um, imagine going throughout your day and Jesus himself, incarnate, you can put him in the, the white robe from back in first century, you can put him in jeans, um, not that we play with what God looks like, but if he needs a beard, whatever, Jesus is with you. Right there, the whole day, he's your personal counselor, He's your guide. He's, um, he's giving you advocacy. He's your friend. You can give him high fives. You can say, whoa, I really blew it. Um, the whole that you sit down to, to watch the Super Bowl, he's right there. Maybe you don't want him there, but he is. Um, wouldn't, I know I would, be completely jazzed. I mean, you're seeing it come out. Wouldn't you too be pretty excited if Jesus himself was right next to you? The whole day, guiding your life, being your advocate, being your counselor, helping you make decisions that you don't want to make, we'd be excited, right? I mean, maybe I'm alone, but the point is that the Holy Spirit is with us. God is with us. He is in us. He is that advocate. He is that guy. Jesus says, I'm going to send another advocate like me who is going to be with you and who is in you. That's pretty cool. And if you read in Acts as it continues, you'll see these disciples, these followers of Jesus who were timid, who made tons of mistakes, who lied, backstabbed, tried to cheat each other, how they are transformed in their experience with the Spirit, so much so that in Acts 4.13, the people watching them are amazed when they saw the courage of Peter and John, two of the disciples, that these were unschooled, ordinary men and were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what I want. Not just for me. Like, that's, that's what I want for us. Spirit-led Spirit-embodied, spirit-embowered community. And we, we get to that journey as we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one, like Jesus, who is always with us. So, look at your own life, if you would, for a second, and just say, okay, God, so what? That was a lot of truth from the Scripture. Um, but what does it mean for me? Holy Spirit, um, what in my thought process needs to change? Like, am I still confused about what and who the Holy Spirit is? Well, hang tight. If, if we're confused about what the Holy Spirit does, that's next week. But maybe our prayers need to change. Maybe the way that we interact with God needs to change. Maybe we need to stop saying, God, please be with me. 
and instead say, um, God, you are with me. I, I accept that truth. Please help me to understand. Please help me to hear you. How does our awareness that we don't need to try and make this picture of Jesus being right there because the Holy Spirit is there, how does that need to change? I don't think in 30 minutes we can really fully grasp who the Holy Spirit is. That's not my goal, not my point. Um, it doesn't, I don't even want to just give you good information. I mean, I want a proper understanding. I want us to grasp a proper understanding. But that's not really my goal either. My hope is that when we start to understand, experience, believe who the Holy Spirit is, that we value God as Holy Spirit, and that we want his active presence and desire in our lives. And um, Lucas, who um, has been with Restoration since kind of the public launch thing, um, who's doing some internship work for us, is at North Central University, and he's going to talk about his experience of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. So... All right, so like Rob said, I am Lucas, and uh, before I kind of get into my experience at school, I just want to tell you a brief background of where I came to faith. Um, I started attending Faith Covenant in seventh grade, and that's when I gave my life to God. And uh, from seventh grade to my senior year is when I really started sort of dug into God and found out who God is and what God means to me and all that kind of stuff. And in my senior year, I've was convinced I was going to go into business. That's what I had planned for myself. Um, But in the course of that year, God had just put a calling on my heart to go into ministry. And it was something I was a little afraid of, but I said, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, I'm going to take this leap of faith and just trust in you. So I, I ended up at North Central University. Now, North Central is a Pentecostal school or an Assemblies of God school, which I didn't know anything about. I went there and I was like, okay, I'm going to a Christian school, I'm a Christian, we'll have good conversations, it'll be cool. We're, all, we're like people. Um, I was, I was, that is true, but I was fairly far away from the truth of what I would actually experience at school. Uh, our first service, we have chapel every single day, and our first service, we got in and we start worshiping and everybody's got their hands raised and you can just tell that this is a body of people who are excited about God. Now that part didn't catch me too off guard, but it was in between songs and when people would pray and sometimes even during songs that I would hear just kind of this noise. And I wasn't sure what it was at first, but it turns out that it was speaking in tongues. Now I didn't know that was actually something that happened today. I read about it, but I'd never experienced it until I went to this school. So that was, that was a little bit frightening for me. And then when the leader gets up on stage, like up front here, and I'm ready for him to pray, and then we'll move into the message, he stands up and goes, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit move within this congregation right now. I'm feeling the Spirit move, so for the rest of the time together, we're just going to stay in worship. And we're just going to continue to sing and praise God. And I was like, oh, you know... We could start the service. I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> for me, that was an uncomfortable experience. I wasn't sure what that meant. So that first 
first year in school, I sort of explored the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if this is how it's like to be in the Holy Spirit, if I have my hands raised and I'm doing all these things in the Holy Spirit, well, how do, how do I get to there? That's what I had to explore in my first year of school. And I guess it was more towards the second year of school when we started that I actually understood how to, how to accept the Holy Spirit into my life and really have the Holy Spirit in everything I do. It's a, it was a, such a unique experience and a different experience, but it's one that I wouldn't trade. From Faith Covenant, I got a really firm background in my faith, a really firm platform. And then when I got to school, I just, I just had to adjust that and accept that the Holy Spirit was not just this other person or this other being that we sometimes would talk about that was there on Sunday mornings or in my life group but that the Holy Spirit was always with me. And that was one of the big challenges that I had to face in my school. So as we start to explore the Holy Spirit together, I would encourage you to ask questions if you have them. Find Rob, me, whoever. Just feel free to explore who the Holy Spirit is. Think about who the Holy Spirit is to you, maybe what you can change. Um... But really just be open to the Holy Spirit and just be inviting of the Holy Spirit in your prayer, when you come to church, in your everyday life. Just invite the Holy Spirit into your life as you go through this week.